Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of The Global and the Granite State. Our podcast has been getting a lot of attention over the past couple months, and I want to thank all of our listeners for your help in having us move up the charts. Your interest in our global discussions is heartening, and I hope you gain helpful insights through this program. As always, I am Tim Horgan, and I am the Executive Director of the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire, as well as your host for this program. We are excited for this month's episode as we take a deep dive into the upcoming elections in Iran with two experts who know this inside and out. Iran plays a big role in the thinking of many Americans, and what better way to understand where that country is headed than by knowing more about their electoral systems. This is an extremely engaging discussion, and I hope you come away with some solid insights. hold its presidential elections. This vote to select the next leader of the republic follows a very specific process, but can lead to some surprising results. After a months-long campaign, the Iranian public will have their say, although, as our two experts indicate, this is not a fully free and fair campaign. To first provide a little background, Iran has both a president and a parliament, but no prime minister. That position was abolished by constitutional amendment in 1989. The president is the head of state and has the ability to appoint cabinet ministers, pending the approval of the parliament, and serves as chairman of the Supreme Council for National Security, overseeing national defense. However, he is not the most powerful person in Iran's theocracy. The supreme leader of the country is the top decision maker in the country. Currently, it's Ali Khamenei, who's been in this role for over two decades. And it's an unelected role. It, the person is appointed basically through a body and has the highest decision making in the country. And then under the leader, you have these three major positions of power, which is the president, the speaker of the parliament, and also the head of the judiciary, which are seen as the three main pillars under the Supreme Leader. That is Nagar Mortazavi, an Iranian-American journalist and host of the Iran podcast. We spoke at length about the political process in Iran and the importance of the upcoming elections. You know, it's an authoritarian country. They hold elections. Clearly, the elections are not fair or free, but they're competitive. So what I think is usually missing from the conversations in the US or even some other international media is the various factions within the country and how the political structure is not a monolith. You have hardliners, you have conservatives, you have ultra hardliners, you have more centrist hardliners and conservatives, and then you have moderate and more reformist factions in the political structure. And as you said, there's a parliament whose members are directly elected by the people and the president is also directly elected for your terms. Although those who are allowed to run for president and for parliament will basically be screened 
by an unelected body. This body is called the Guardian Council, which was a new term for me as I dove deeper into the inner workings of the Iranian election process. The Guardian Council is an unelected body. They're basically called the Council of the Guardians or the Constitutional Council, and it's compromised of a 12-member body that are basically mandated to look at the list of candidates and approve and essentially disqualify those who are not approved to run for elections. I have to also mention that Iranian elections are open for registration. So at every election, you have thousands and thousands of sometimes even random people signing up. So the Guardian Council in general disqualifies thousands of people based on various metrics. They have age, degree, you know, level of education, past criminal record and things like that. But usually you would see sort of a competitive field of final candidates from the different political parties that are represented in the country. So you would see prominent candidates from every party, and this would include reformists and moderates. And we've also seen this pattern of the voters, usually when there is a candidate, voting for the candidate least close to the hardline camp and the, and the conservatives, and usually the moderates and reformists, if being free to run, have a higher chance, especially when there is high participation. That means more voter turnout for the moderates and the reformists. But the Guardian Council has sort of been used or serving as this gatekeeper of trying to prevent that sort of competition and popular candidates from the moderate and reformist camps to enter the race. We've seen the list of seven approved candidates, and it seems that the outcome of the election may be predetermined. I also spoke with Tarita Parsi, the co-founder and executive vice president of the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft, to get his insights into this upcoming election and why the Guardian Council would approve a list of candidates that so many people including some hardliners in Iran, seem upset about? So I think there's two elements here. There, one is what they want to do and why they want to do it. And secondly, it, why they have been enabled to do it. So what they seem to be seeking to do is to ensure that they have, through this manipulation of the elections, the control of the judiciary, which they already have. They did the same thing with the parliamentary elections a year or so ago, and as a result, the parliament is squarely in the hands of conservatives now. And if they can do this as well, they will have the presidency in their hands. And this is important because there's a high likelihood that in the next couple of years, the supreme leader of Iran will pass away and the next supreme leader of Iran will be selected. It is essential from the perspective of the conservatives that the next supreme leader also is a conservative. And the best way for them to ensure that is to have control of these different branches of government which allows them to essentially make sure that that selection, which is a selection, will be as skewed as possible in their favor. If they were to lose the presidency, for instance, in, in this case, Raisi seems to be a candidate for the supreme leadership. If he were to lose the election, that means that he would have lost two elections in a row. That would be pretty embarrassing and may actually make it very difficult to make him the supreme leader. So it seems like this time around, it's not just about who is the president. It's about who is the president and how will that affect who will become the next supreme leader. Now, what has enabled them 
to be in a position to do what they're doing, because I'm pretty sure that they would like to have done this before as well. But what has enabled them to do this is at least partly the maximum pressure on sanctions policy of the Trump administration. The Trump administration withdrew from the Iran nuclear deal. The sanctions that it imposed on the Iranian state and society afterwards have been absolutely devastating to the economy and it's been devastating to the political elements in Iran who had favored the nuclear deal, who had favored engagement with the United States, who had put all of their eggs in the basket of thinking that improved relations with the United States would bring about a better economic and a better political situation for Iran. Trump humiliated these elements. He proved them absolutely wrong, the perception of many in Iran. And as a result, this has significantly strengthened the hardline elements in Iran and have put them in a position in which they seem to feel more comfortable going forward with a much more blatant manipulation of the election process than we have seen ever before. We will dive a little more into the sanctions and the JCPOA a little later in this episode, as it obviously plays a large role in the U.S.-Iran relationship. However, I want to first turn to the Iranian electorate and how voting in Iran works. So people are free to pick whoever they want from this very limited list and just trying to compare to the system here in the U.S. You don't have to be registered to vote. Anybody with a birth certificate or a national ID can show up to any poll. That's another interesting thing about Iranian elections. You can, if your neighborhood poll is too crowded or busy, you can go to the next one. Or if you're traveling or in a different city on the day of the election, you can go to any polling station and vote. The election is always on a Friday, which is the weekend in Iran. That's also interesting difference with the U.S. And once you go to the poll with your ID, get stamped to prevent you from going around and voting at another polling station. And you basically get a paper and you can write in or pick one of these seven candidates. And what we've seen, the pattern is that obviously the hardliners and the conservatives have a base, a social base that turns out for them. Usually they've been pretty good and consistent in turning out and voting for the candidate, but it's not a good majority. So we've seen the moderates and reformists doing much better in elections when they're allowed to run and when they can consolidate or unite behind one candidate, which is what happened in the previous round, actually for Rouhani's presidency, eventually the reformist, because Rouhani wasn't the reformist candidate, he ran as a moderate, but the reformist eventually decided that he's popular, he's doing well in the debates, and he has a chance of winning. So they forced or asked their own candidate to withdraw, and the reformist basically united behind Rouhani and endorsed him and sort of lended their social base and their support to Rouhani and eventually he won with the majority of the vote and the hardliners and the conservatives, even though they have their own base, it didn't turn out to be the majority. So generally when it's competitive and when prominent reformists or even moderates have been allowed to run, it seems like they have a better chance of winning the majority. And that's precisely the reason why we see the mass disqualifications. We saw it in the previous parliamentary elections last year. The parliament before that was controlled by moderate slash reformist candidates. But then in the previous election, last year's election, they basically disqualified 
most performing moderates who had a chance and that's how the hardliners won big and now control the election and it seems like that's going to be how the presidential election is there's also a lot of domestic crises repression killing of protesters in in 2019 and just the securitization of the political space and any form of dissent pressures on civil society all of these also have an impact on voter turnout which would be detrimental to the moderate and reformist so the urban middle class the youth the camp the base camp who are not for the hardliners we hear a lot of calls for boycott of the election and I'm expecting a low turnout which would also mean better chance for the hardline candidate to win what about the electorate in general where did they stand is there strong support for the hardliners do people want to see change and will iran continue to be viewed as a pariah state in the west well obviously the hardliners don't have the sort of majority support they wish to have and that's why they try all these ways of you know skewing the elections in 2009 under ahmadinejad the election was rigged and now we see this disqualification and basically trying to make the race into an easy win for their own candidate because they know that they don't have this majority support and there's this constant push and pull between the society the younger generations iran is a very young country about 70% of the population is under the age of 40 they have different ambitions most of the population in iran was born after the revolution so they haven't seen the revolution they don't necessarily sympathize with every slogan and value of the revolutionaries of that older generation and this generational shift in the demands and the ambitions is constantly seen and brought up in Iran's political scene we've also seen massive anti-government and anti-state protests and dissent there's also been very severe repression of any of these protests but that's also something that's going to continue the grievances are not gone they're still there and it's very volatile but i guess we have to still wait and see what happens in this election but if a hardliner wins potentially if raisi wins that is going to mean more probably isolation from europe from the us more hardline position inside the country but then again more of that pressure and resistance from the population from the civil society and from dissidents who are active in the country it seems that the decision by the guardian council is putting things in order for the future of iran that the hardliners would like to see however with the majority of iranians being more moderately minded it should not surprise that there is such discontent with the slate of candidates well what's now ended up becoming the biggest issue in the elections which you know normally probably would have been the economy corruption matters of that kind is now increasingly the highly undemocratic process of the elections in the sense that these elections have never been free nor fair but they have been competitive because there's nevertheless been a spectrum of opinions that have been included in the elections manifested in a spectrum of candidates representing those opinions that spectrum has now shrunk significantly 
as a result of the decision of the Guardian Council, essentially made sure that there's only a handful of conservatives that were allowed to run and one or two non-conservatives that are either sufficiently unknown or otherwise deemed to be non-threats, which then appears to have been a calculation to allow a specific conservative, Ibrahim Raisi, to become essentially the next president of Iran, not by election, but by selection. Now, this has always happened. There's always been a, a lot of frustration and anger with the manner in which the Guardian Council have made their decisions and caused the spectrum to shrink. But what they have done this time around goes well beyond anything they have done in the past. With the outcome of the election stacked in favor of Raisi, it would be important for Western audiences to know more about him and what Iran may look like under his leadership, particularly if he were to become supreme leader in the coming years. Ebrahim Raisi is a cleric and a student of a number of prominent clerics in Iran. As I said, he's a hardline figure and he's the current head of judiciary and he has a controversial past in the Islamic Republic, especially in the judicial system. In the 1980s, he was part of a group who oversaw mass execution of political dissidents, detention and execution, and just very massive repressions. And he's directly tied uh, to many cases of human rights abuse. As he's been the head of judiciary, he oversaw the violations of human rights, repression of protesters, execution of some protesters in the past few years, and including a prominent dissident, Ruhollah Zam, who was based in France, but was lured to Iraq and then basically kidnapped to Iran and later executed. And he's been designated as a violator of human rights in the West. And it's his presidency would potentially complicate engagement and diplomacy with Iran. And his hardline views just in general means that Iran is going to take a more hardline position towards the West, towards the US. It probably means more isolation for Iran, less chances for diplomacy and engagement and opening beyond the nuclear deal and potentially more of a shift to the East as opposed to the West towards China and Russia and possibly a more hardline and securitized atmosphere also inside the country. Turning our attention to the future, Teresa seems to agree that the JCPOA is not in danger, but any follow-on diplomacy has become harder with the expected results from the election. I think it's very important that these negotiations come to a successful conclusion. I think at the end of the day, it lies in the national interest of the United States to make sure that an effort is made to prevent any pathway for Iran to move towards a nuclear weapon. So that remains the case regardless of who's in power in Iran. However, if you had a moderate government in Iran, then the prospects for a negotiation post-JCPOA would look better, meaning that after the JCPOA had been secured, there would have been a greater chance to make sure that other issues can be addressed, that the negotiations can move on to start addressing regional issues, potentially lengthening and strengthening of the nuclear deal itself. That, I think, is now going to become much more difficult with the new government in Iran, if, if nothing changes. And I do have to say, the election process in Iran 
and, and season is very unpredictable. Things change very fast. This is a very short period of time compared to the American election season that is almost two years long. But it means that whatever happens in the United States over the course of two years tends to happen in Iran over the course of three weeks. So a lot can happen between now and election day. But if we are moving towards a hardline government in Iran, it doesn't mean that the JCPOA cannot be resurrected or sustained, but it does probably mean that it's going to be much more difficult to be able to move beyond the JCPOA, meaning the JCPOA may end up becoming the ceiling rather than the floor. Trita also feels that the lack of a new deal at this point has played into the hands of the hardliners, empowering them in a way that may have been avoided if a deal was struck earlier. What matters is if the United States rejoins the deal, and I think the Biden administration missed an opportunity, they could have moved much faster than what they did. And if they had, we would likely have been in a different position right now when it comes to what is happening in the elections in Iran. At this point, for instance, if an agreement were to be signed 10 days from now, it will not have much of an impact on the elections. Whereas if it had been signed three, four months ago, then I think we would have been in a different situation and, and the moderates would have been in a stronger position, leading to the Guardian Council feeling less confident that they would be able to pull off and get away with something like what they have done right now. Moving a little farther afield, we hear a lot about Iran's meddling in the greater Middle East, supporting proxy wars in Syria, Yemen, Iraq, and other areas. Does this upcoming change in leadership portend any major changes in how Iran engages with its neighbors? I think when it comes to Iran's regional policies, the continuity is stronger than the change. However, on the margins, and not necessarily marginal, there are changes that can be made, there are opportunities that can be actualized that may not be the case if you have a hardline government. One of the big differences in the past is that the hardline governments have conducted themselves in such a way that it's become politically more difficult for the West to engage with them. For instance, much more difficult to engage with Iran when the president's name is Ahmadinejad and he's sharing all kinds of strange theories about the Holocaust. It makes it much, much more difficult for Western, particularly American politicians to engage. When you have someone like Rouhani, it's a different story. Now, did the red lines in the negotiations necessarily change? Unclear. I'm not convinced that there would have necessarily been uh, significantly different red lines if there had been a different government. But the types of risks for diplomacy that I think a moderate government that has a worldview that engagement with the West is in the core national interest of Iran is different from the risks that a hardline government is willing to accept that seems to have a comfort zone that is much more about staying away from the West, looking East, strengthening relations with China, et cetera, et cetera. So in that sense, there are going to be changes. You cannot dismiss that these elections are irrelevant or that who is president in Iran does not matter. It matters tremendously. But we should also be careful not to overstate it because in a lot of areas, there's going to be more continuity than change. In the end, there is a big push now to get everyday Americans on board with the U.S. foreign policy. The World Affairs Council of New Hampshire has been working to inform people about global affairs since 1954, so this is not something new for us. However, as part of a wider push, this is a welcome development. What, then, would be the importance of having an in-depth knowledge of Iranian politics 
be for the everyday American? Well, in the case of Iran, as I just mentioned, it's a very critical and powerful country in the region. And for the United States to be able to shift its focus away from the Middle East, it needs to make sure that it has secured its interest vis-a-vis Iran and that it has transformed the relationship with Iran to a point in which conflict more or less is off the table, that whatever problems exist, it will be resolved through other means than conflict. That, of course, means that the Iranians need to play ball as well. But the bottom line is this is important because otherwise the United States is going to remain stuck in the region. And we have seen what that has done. That has been devastating for the United States. It's been devastating for the region as a whole. And the American public is sick and tired of it. So for those reasons, I think it's quite essential to be able to be better informed about this. The coverage has been so specific on the nuclear issue without explaining the broader geopolitical implications. And this is a partly a decision by the US government itself, at least under the Obama administration. They did not want to talk about this in any other context than the nuclear issue, because they felt that the best way of selling this deal to the public was to really focus on its impeccable nuclear merits. And I think that is not necessarily wrong, but today, with the importance that the public is putting on ending the endless war. I want to thank both Nagar Mortazavi and Tarit Parsi for their insights into this important topic. We hope that you have gained a deeper understanding of the Iranian electoral system, what to expect in the upcoming elections, and most importantly, how the results are likely to affect the world at large and the U.S. in particular. Thank you once again for taking the time to engage with our podcast. Your support is vital to the continuation of our work and to building our global community. We hope you will leave us a comment and a rating, as well as share this program with your friends. The more people who engage, the better our programs become. In addition, let us know what topics you would like to hear more about so that we can focus on the critical issues that matter to you. Finally, the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire is constantly updating our programs, and we hope you will join us for our virtual speakers' events, engage with our international visitors, and continue to spread the good word. You can find out more about our upcoming events on our website at wacnh.org. Tim Horgan is our producer, editor, sound director, host, and all other roles. Our theme music, as always, is Admin by A.A. Alto, and our interlude music is The Jitters by Mitre. Thank you again, and until next time. Mm-hmm.